gentlemen bears oh chickens and aliens and things because i didn't pick out an alien of the week just an alien just an alien so there's lots of there's them enough there. of them <laughs> to episode 84 of the muppet trek podcast i'm jarman and i'm steve we're here to compare contrast and confer about our two favorite franchises jarman what are those those are of course the muppets and star trek and we do one-to-one oh. reviews of the muppet show and star trek the animated series and this week, we have a special Muppet Show guest, Lola. <laughs> I can't even say her name. It's so ridiculous. <laughs> special Muppet Show guest, Lola Falana. <laughs> animated series episode, The Lorelei Signal. There's a lot of L's going around these two episodes. Lola Falana and The Lorelei Signal. <laughs> that's the name of the band we came up with, right? <laughs> that's yeah, said. that's a folk. It's a mix like folk, punk, <laughs> hip hop, jazz. Welcome to the stage, Lola Falana and the Lorelei Signal. And Steve, who the hell is this Lola Falana? Well, she's an American musician and actress. She was an early protege of Dinah, uh, Dinah Washington, and she later got discovered by Sammy Davis Jr., who put her on his Broadway show, Golden Boy. She then did some of Davis's movies, but didn't really find her biggest success until she went to Italy. And she was huge over there. She learned fluent Italian and wow. starred in multiple movies. She racked up a Golden Globe nomination in 1970 for her role in The Liberation of L.B. Jones, and that was the same year she posed for Playboy. Uh-huh. She, she did guest spots and featured appearances on many, many shows, including Hollywood Palace, The New Bill Cosby Show, and The Tonight Show, and Laugh-In. With the help of Sammy Davis Jr., she got a residency in Vegas and was dubbed the Queen of Las Vegas. Wow. She consistently performed at the Sands, the Riviera, and the MGM Grand before the Aladdin uh, picked her up and started paying her a hundred thousand dollars a week. Wow! And she officially became the highest paid female performer in Las Vegas at that time. Damn! What does our audience know her from? Well, she took a hard right turn into religion in the late eighties oh. and went full Roman Catholic. She stopped most of her performing and turned to a life of spirituality. Her last show performance was in nineteen ninety seven. So likely you don't really know her from anything. She's still alive? Uh, I believe so, yes. Wow, okay. That's an interesting uh, turn. What's she up to this week on The Muppet Show? Well, backstage, Piggy is outraged because it is revealed Gonzo got a movie deal. And then she assaults an octopus. <laughs> Lola shamelessly flirts, flirts with Gonzo now that he's a big rising star. Scooter pitches Gonzo's replacement, Trevor the Gross, a green ugly parrot thing. Lola finds Gonzo in his dressing room, and Gonzo received a telegram that his contract was canceled. Lola tells him to smile, and then they have a backstage song, Smile. Lola then celebrate Gonzo's return backstage again by performing United We Stand. Because they were On expecting Gonzo week. the Mediocre, not Gonzo the Great. <laughs> yeah, they, they were trying to hire Gonzo the Mediocre. Uh, Kermit introduces the episode Lola Falana, and then it's the last show for Gonzo. He's headed to Bombay, India. To become a movie star. This is also referenced in the Muppet movie, where the first time they run into him, he's on his way to, to break into show business in Bombay, India. Oh, wow. I forgot about that. 
we then get the Muppet Chicken who Cluck uh, Cluck sing Pick a Little Talk a Little, joined by Gonzo singing Goodnight Ladies. Up next is Herbie the One Octopus Band, which we don't actually get to see, but this is presumably what's happening on stage. Mm. Uh, Kermit introduces Lola, who performs He's the Greatest Dancer. She's joined by Dog Lion and a slew of other full-body Muppets who disco boogie with her to the song. Um, Kermit hands the stage over to Gonzo for his farewell performance. Gonzo sings My Way on a near bare stage and it's sweet and melancholy. and Gonzo starts crying and Kermit comes to reassure him that it's going to be okay and goes for a handshake and they hug. And this might be the most genuinely emotional moment in the entire Muppet show so far. It was so sweet and sad. It was so sweet and well, well acted. Yeah. Um, man. It's like get a little like he's really leaving or something. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we then get the chickens one more time who cluck. I'm going to wash that man right out of my hair trying to get over Gonzo. Following this, we get Luis Kazagger and the Muppet Sports reporting on a marathon tree staring contest. Kermit introduces Trevor the Gross, who's going to tap dance in oatmeal. Gonzo is outraged because that's his act. He begs for his job back. And Trevor is assaulted by chickens. <laughs> Kermit introduces Gonzo singing Top Hat, dancing in oatmeal. Gonzo sinks into the oatmeal, but luckily they rescue him uh, by eating by eating him out. <laughs> that sounds just as terrible <laughs> as I wrote it. That took me a second. Kermit thanks Lola one final time, despite the fact that she only performed on the stage one time. And that is what we call the Muppet Show. <laughs> Jeremy, what did you think of this week's episode? With Lola Falana. I had to say, the first thing I did right was the My Way Gonzo number was genuinely moving. It was really nice. Um, oh, man. And it almost felt like more of a Gonzo is the guest star of this episode than Lola Falana was. Uh, he really <laughs> was. Very they, Gonzo really featured, they really featured his reworked puppet in this. Oh, it was, it was um, a reworked puppet. Okay, gotcha. A lot of these guys got facelifts. Facelifts come the Muppet movie. Oh, and it already came and so out because of them. Some of the, some of the I actually don't know off the top of my head. A lot of the Muppets get like upgrades. Yeah. In this time frame because of that. I did notice Piggy looks better, too. I don't know when that happened, but she does look better in this episode. Piggy looks better. If you look at Fozzie now compared to Fozzie back in the day, it's insane. It is insane. <laughs> if anything, Kermit's like the one that stayed pretty much the same. Hmm. I noticed that. And also, uh, 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 the, uh, Lola Falana, I thought was fantastic. She, I can tell why she was a showstopper because she's a really good singer. Um, uh, she was great interacting with the Muppets and she's sexy as hell. Like that, that outfit she was wearing is like a Star Trek outfit where she was like completely revealed on her legs and up to her hip and everything. I was like, whoa, that's very risque for the Muppet show. Um, but I like the backstage plot with Gonzo. It was, it went all throughout, which is, we usually like that when the backstage plot is consistent, you know, and moves along. Um, so yeah, overall, this is like a definitely an upper episode of the season for me. I have to say, very solid. So I really, on paper, I should like this episode. Mm. I'm a huge sucker for backstage musical numbers, and there are two in this. Uh, we get a few Muppet regulars, like we get Muppet Sports. I guess that's the only that is the only regular thing we get. Yeah, that's true. Um, but but you're right. They really lost focus on the guest. Lola only had three numbers. And as I mentioned, only one of them, in theory, the Muppet Show audience saw. That's true. She could have had one more, at least on stage. Or one could have started backstage and then moved on stage. Well, what, whatever. Um, 
The chickens were nice. They're two, they got two musical numbers, which maybe felt a little bit excessive. That's true. <laughs> um, so, but, but the Gonzo through line of him thinking he's going, acting like a big shot, uh, realizing that he has to leave my way and then him getting the bad news and the sweet moment between him and Lola Falana all made for an emotionally very centered episode. Yeah. It's just all the other stuff I felt kind of went, eh. I could see that. I really like the the song with her, which like she sings the smile song. Um, but I like at the end of that, that isn't actually a solution is to tell someone to smile and they recognize that. And Gondo's like, that doesn't help, but he just right. goes away. It's like, that's not going to fix my situation. <laughs> but I like that a lot. Um, so I don't know. I'm going to probably put this in the middle, but I will forever remember that moment with Gonzo and Kermit. Yeah. Specifically when Kermit reaches out a hand to shake his hand and Gonzo hugs him. That was really wonderful. Like that was just wonderful. Just a beautiful moment. And personally, um, and I will I, never forget that uh, dress she was wearing. <laughs> that's right. Um, as I said, in 1970, she did pose for Playboy. <laughs> no one's going to look that up uh, now. Mu- <laughs> music this week. Uh, pick a little, talk a little from the music man. Written by Meredith Wilson. Fun fact, Meredith Wilson is a man. Oh. Uh, he also wrote, it's be uh, it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. Hmm. Same guy. Uh, he's the greatest dancer. The 1979 song made famous by the group Sister Sledge. Uh, the more famous song on the album this came from and then took the spotlight was We Are Family. Mm, yes. From the same album. Overplayed. <laughs> My way. Before Sinatra made it famous, the tune is actually from a French song called Calm d'Habitude. English lyrics were written by Paul Anka, mm. who also wrote Lonely Boy, Put Your Head on My Shoulder, and This Is It for Michael Jackson. I'm going to wash that man right out of my hair from the hit musical South Pacific by Rodgers and Hammerstein. It hit Broadway in 1949, ran for 1,925 performances, and became the second most successful Broadway show at the time, only beaten by Roger and Hammerstein's other musical, Oklahoma. <laughs> of course. Uh, Smile, uh, the music for this song actually came from a 1936 Charlie Chaplin film called Modern Times. Good movie. And it was composed by Charlie Chaplin himself. Oh, wow. Lyrics were later added, and this became a huge hit for Nat King Cole in 1954. Uh, United We Stand, released in 1970 by the Brotherhood of Man. Reg Miller, who wrote the song, worked at Mills Music in in England, a song publishing house. He tapped a, a office boy they had hired who he knew could sing to record the original demo of the song, and it, it received rave reviews. Uh, and so he, he, he was able to sell it and put it up. The office boy that he tapped was named, uh, Reg Dwight, mm-hmm. who would later become known as Elton John. Oh my gosh. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> Which song was this? Uh, this was United We Stand. United We Stand, divided we fall. <laughs> wow. It was Elton John. Um, yeah. So yeah, the, the original demo was Elton John when he was still just a, like a, an office boy. That's funny. Uh, Jeremy, what did you think was the best Muppeteering moment this week? I don't think there was a lot of crazy technical stuff. Um, so I just went with one that I actually, I like the song, pick a little, talk a little. Some I saw the Music Man, right? I think it's where it was in. Um, and it was a lot, of, a lot of chickens at one time doing different parts of the song because they're all going to sing different parts. And that's just challenging in of itself. So I don't know how many people they had down there, how many hands. And then Gonzo coming in to the end of the song just saying it, it was a lot of coordinated at once. So I enjoyed it and it was probably very difficult to coordinate. 
Uh, I'm going to give it to Gonzo in my way specifically. Mm. Um, what I'm finding more more and more is I really appreciate it when one Muppet and one performer can like own the stage. Yeah. And show and what I'm finding more and more often is that that's Dave goals, the guy who does Gonzo um, and the other characters he plays. I feel like he takes the stage and holds it maybe better than any other solo Muppet performer. What are the other major and, Muppets he does? Uh, Beauregard uh, Gonzo is the big one. Yeah. Um, he's done a bunch of others just in other things. Like he's Boober Fraggle in Fraggle Rock. We'll get there eventually. Um, <laughs> he's Zoot. Oh, okay. In Dodge Teeth and Electric Mayhem. Um, but the more I'm seeing it, the more I'm realizing it's like, it's him. Like he just, for whatever reason, Dr. Bunsen Honeydew. There we go. Uh, Boober. He's Uncle Traveling Matt. Once we get to, to that, uh, he's Waldorf. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, later on, he's Waldorf mm. after the original players died. Um, but yeah, so I think just him as Gonzo in that that sweet, innocent moment was just won me over. And then following that up with the hug with Kermit, which is be- beautiful performance. Yeah, and, and like, who, who would expect that from puppets? He, and Gonzo gets so many great performances in the movies later on because we watched those first. And like him and Rizzo have always been my favorite little duo. So I need some Rizzo. <laughs> well, Riz, well, enjoy him while he's here because Steve Whitmire got fired. Oh, well, dang. <laughs> yeah, how about that? How about that? Um, so, Jaron, what happened on this week's episode of Star Trek, the animated series? This week we have the Lorelei signal. Okay, so the Enterprise is sent to investigate a sector of space where ships keep disappearing every 27 years. And a strange musical signal is picked up once they get there, and it apparently is coming from a nearby planet and a nearby system. And even aboard the Enterprise, they hear the signal. The music seems to be affecting all the men of the crew only, giving them these euphoric hallucinations of, like, beautiful women and stuff. So Spock, Kirk, and Bones and a red shirt go down to the planet to investigate. And they are greeted by the planet's inhabitants where a bunch of beautiful women, and I like to call them space mm-hmm. sirens, because that's basically what they are. <laughs> that really is the trope they're playing. Yeah. Absolutely. And uh, the women feed the men, and they dance for them and cause them to become sleepy. And that's when the women fit them all with headbands that lock in place on their heads. And it starts transmitting all their life energy to the women, causing the whole away team of men to start aging rapidly while the women grow in strength and vitality. So back in the Enterprise, Nurse Chapel and Uhura figure out that only the men are affected, including Scotty, who's just having these visions. So Uhura takes control of the ship, and Scotty gives it to her willingly. He doesn't care because he's nuts and it's great because Ahura is now in charge of the Enterprise which is awesome uh, Kirk and crew gather enough strength to just enough strength to run away from the women and they jump into a big ceremonial urn in front of their palace or whatever to hide from them and they find that the energy energy drain is weaker the farther away from the women they are but they're still aging and dying slowly and since Spock ages slower than humans as a Vulcan he's a bit stronger than the rest so he goes back into the Sirens Hall that's what I'm going to call it uh, to get their communicators back and he barely gets there and gets a message to Uhura in time. And he tells her to come down with a security crew of all female crew members to rescue them. And then they capture Spock again. But they don't know where the rest of them are hiding. So Uhura beams down with an all-female crew. And they blast the hell out of the space sirens uh, with phasers. And they stun them. And when Uhura then threatens to destroy their temple unless they return the Enterprise crew to her... Uh, the head siren explains that the, they settled here hundreds of years ago. And found out that the planet was draining their energy... 
And the only way they could stay alive was to drain the energy from the males of their group. And this also gave them immortality. But now they can't reproduce and they have to lure men to their planet every 27 years to survive. It's very convoluted, but apparently that's what they have to do. (laughs) So Ahura convinces her to release the men from her crew. um, And Spock gives them, uh, brings them to where the other men are hiding in the urn. And it's starting to rain and they're about to drown in the urn. So Ahura uh, frees them by shooting the urn and breaking it apart, which is kind of dangerous. Um, they remove the energy draining headbands, but they're still old and weak. So it's old Spock, old bones and old Kirk, but Spock figures out their last known physical condition is still in the pattern buffers of the transporters, which is a thing that comes out later on in Star Trek and, um, the next generation and so on. They use this trope again. Uh, so they use the transporters to realign their molecules back to the way they were when they first arrived and they are young again and it worked. And Ahura says that they will transport the space sirens to another planet where they will then age normally in a different environment and they won't need to drain energy from anyone anymore. And for some reason, she doesn't punish them at all for killing men over centuries. <laughs> but that's a thing. Uh, so, Steve, what do you think of this episode? <laughs> um, all right. So the things I liked, I like that it was very much a female centric episode. Yeah. Both the sirens and then the next thing I wrote down is that we get Ahura taking command which is awesome. And then uh, nurse chapel gets called like chief medical officer. Yeah. Also awesome. Uh, I like the animation and how much value they got out of it for the aging bones, Kirk and Spock. Cause they just took the original cells and they put some lines over the face. Yeah, it looked good. I thought it was fine. And it looked good and it was clearly low effort. <laughs> um, Ingenuity. And then this, there was, it was weird when they were making their run for it. The music got really good and really intense. Like out of nowhere, there was like wah wah riffy chase music. I was like, what the hell? Where did this come from? I did not notice that. It was like we were suddenly inside an episode of Charlie's Angels, like out of nowhere. It was insane. And it was really only during that chase scene. It was nuts. We go back and re listen to it. it it's crazy. It's funny. Um, the, the, some things I struggled with. It was really hard to take the like space siren seriously because then that weird hum IE thing. Oh, that was off putting. I was like, what just happened? Basically, folks, if you didn't see the episode, the sirens have this technology where to open like locked doors, they had to emit like a sound. It's like sonic, but they just go. Yeah, it's weird. It was really stupid. What the hell? It was really silly. During the chase, there was this moment where. Kirk and all them, they literally hop into like, I don't know, like a giant, it looks like a giant bowl in the middle of a square. <laughs> it was really weird too. It's like a big empty planter and the women run up and they're like, where did they go? Well, I guess they're not here. <laughs> like not a single one of them looks at this giant bowl. Like an in NPC the in like square. a, a stealth all- game. <laughs> Yeah, I was like, what? Okay. Must have been the wind. <laughs> um, And then I did like the, the, the sort of Star Trek-y solution of when they transported back editing their genes to reverse the aging process mm-hmm. that felt very star trekky um but overall some fun moments in this episode yeah i, I think um, it moved faster than a lot of the other ones we've watched so far like i, I didn't feel like this yes. was slow at any point it kind of just went through i would agree fast. with that 100 percent. and they all feel that way because they're shorter but this one in particular like i was it was done already i'm like oh it's already done wow that was fun to watch that was entertaining um yeah, and I like there's one time Scotty gets to sing. He's a beautiful singing voice. Oh yeah, they cut to like an exterior 
and like just the starship kind of floating through space and you get to hear Scotty sing. It was beautiful. I loved it. Um, it was lovely. Yeah. Agreed. Oh, and, and when Kirk turns back to young Uhura's like, he's like, do I look like my normal self again? And she's like, you're more handsome than ever. And I was like, oh, Jesus, just build up Kirk's uh, ego some more. <laughs> but, but yeah, I think this was actually of the ones we've watched so far, which is very few. This is towards the top for me so far, but I do understand your, uh, you know, things you struggled with. Absolutely. <laughs> what the fuck? It was out of place. Did she just become a dolphin? What She's just happened? Trying to be Xena with helium. <laughs> um, <laughs> so we have some trivia for this episode. Um, this is Nichelle Nichols's favorite episode because Ahura takes command of the Enterprise. She said that in interviews. That this is her favorite. Um, the title of this episode, uh, Lorelai, what is it again? Uh, the Lorelai Signal. The Lorelai Signal. The title of this episode is a reference to the legend of the Lorelai, which is an old German tale of a beautiful woman who lured sailors to the Rhine, causing them to crash on the rocks, which is completely analogous to the sirens of ancient Greek mythology, basically. And when the head female shows Ahura the planet's history and that of her species, an image of a male of her species comes up on the screen, and it's an animated cell directly from 70s G.I. Joe action figure. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't notice that. They just stole it from that, like put it in there, because that way you have to draw a new character, basically, which is pretty hilarious. So, Steve, what are our Trek connection, Muppet connections this time around? Oh, boy. All right. Lola Falana was featured on two episodes of The Love Boat. There it is. Haven't gotten to hear it in so long. Uh, And as we've discussed before, many, many Love Boat guest stars uh, (laughs) and many, many were on Star Trek. Many, many people that guested the Muppet Show were also on Love Boat. There are like a million connections through Love Boat. Oh, yeah. Uh, The next one, uh, the Nevada State Prison is apparently or was for a long time the go-to choice for a lot of movies that needed to film inside real prisons. And of those movies, that includes 1966 Death Watch, which had Leonard Nimoy in it. Oh. And 1975's Lady Coco, which starred Lola Falana. Uh-huh. Both at the Nevada State Prison. Well, look at that. <laughs> uh, but these were the same episode, right? Very, very similar. I mean, Camilla and the other chickens sing the song, I'm going to wash that man right out of you, and peck away Gonzo's picture, just like the space siren women kill off all the men on their planet. Oh, shit. It's true. Uh, both feature gaggles of nearly identical females. Uh, the Torin Blonde, Torin Blonde. I tried to look up the name of the I, star. Cool. I think it's what it's, that's what it's, it's yeah. Blonde females and the Fawning Chickens. That's very true. Uh, both have episodes uh, where a man is staring at something too long until it kills him. So we have the Muppet that wins the staring contest with the tree, but then the tree falls on him. And then all the men that stare at the space sirens until they sap them dry their youth and die. <laughs> Uh, both feature shameless flirting. Mm. Uh, the the Torians with the male crew members till they get what they want, and Lola Falana with Gonzo when she thinks he's going to be famous. Oh, that's so true. Same episode, same thing. Same episode. Oh God, what's that noise? Transporter malfunction. Transporter malfunction. All right, it's the part of the episode where we transport one character from one episode to the other, and then vice versa. So, what you got for us, Steve? Well, Muppets Trek this week, I'm going to bring over the chickens and replace the Torians and just seductive clucking and draining the life out of people. Because <laughs> that would be less annoying than the I. <laughs> 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 
<laughs> All right, so <laughs> Muppets of Star Trek. I'm gonna have Lola Falani Falana uh, come over and take over for the head space siren because she'd have me hypnotized immediately, and she'd be wearing that dress. <laughs> yes, that dress you will never forget. Apparently, uh, Trek to Muppets bring over Spock and replace Klaus Mueller in the tree staring contest <laughs> because I would just love a, a quick cut back and forth between a tree and Spock solemnly staring at a tree. Oh man, you would definitely win. Just, just back and forth. <laughs> you, you cannot succeed tree. <laughs> it is illogical. <laughs> uh, Star Trek to Muppets. I have a coming over to take the place for Lola because I think it'd be great if she had had the opportunity to guest star in the Muppet show at Nichelle Nichols. That would have been amazing because she would have been so good on the Muppet show. Um, and mm-hmm. this particular episode would be good for her too, because it's a song she could sing very comfortably and she's a great dancer. I think she'd be a great fit for this episode of the Muppet show. So, yeah. And that brings you. us to the end of episode 84 of Muppet Trek podcast. Join us next time for the Muppet show with special guest Phyllis George and animated series episode, more tribbles, more troubles. <laughs> so from the lovers, the dreamers and us live long and prosper, everyone. Thanks for listening to the Muppet Trek Podcast. Be sure to follow us on social media on Facebook and Twitter. Subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. This podcast has been brought to you by A Play on Nerds. 